Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to The District here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. I am joined today with Chris and Evan. How are you guys? We're doing great, Haley. How are you? I'm pretty good. That is good to hear. It's been quite a week. Spring break's coming up. Yes, very exciting. Everyone's excited. Do you have plans? I don't. I'm just going to go home, chill mm. out. Me too. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. That sounds good. Sounds like pretty solid week. Yeah. Um, but let's get right into it. I'll bring us our first stories coming from the Philadelphia Inquirer, titled South Philadelphia Greets News of the First Supervised Injection Site with Outrage and Also Hope. So a little bit of background. Uh, the Constitution Health Plaza at 1930 South Broad Street is set to be the nation's first supervised injection site. Woo. Yeah. And it has been a very divisive topic in South Philadelphia. Uh, officials for the Safe House, which is the title of the company who's going to be running the safe injection site, is a nonprofit organization, and they're set to launch the facility. They said that beginning next week, they would start operating their site for people to use illicit drugs under medical supervision, and they would be revived if they overdosed, and they would have access to medical treatment. And the location is especially crucial as Philadelphia has the worst big city drug crisis in the U.S. Now, opponents to Safe House have stated that this is nothing more than sanctioning drug use, and they've criticized the lack of community involvement and notification in the decision. Uh, here's a quote from one of the community members named Don Davidson. He said, quote, I got a text about this at 7 a.m. He's uh, 72, manages a small business across uh, Broad Street, and he was talking to his coworkers on Wednesday morning about this, saying, um, you know, the old saying, not in my backyard. That's exactly how I feel. So, some residents said that they worried that the site will attract drug dealers and people with addictions to their neighborhood, though backers of the site um, so showed international studies that this hasn't actually happened at any of the sites that have been tested in Canada and in Europe. And others are worried about the proximity to daycare centers and to the South Philadelphia High School, which is about a block away from where the site would be. Now, while some have supported the general idea of the supervised injection site, others, um, including council members Curtis Jones, Jamie Gothier, Catherine Gilmore, Richardson, and Kenyatta Johnson, whose um, district includes the facility, condemned the lack of support from um, and input from the community. Safe House's organizers responded to that, saying that they really think the neighborhood won't notice that much of a change in the um, after the site opens next week. And they said that the fast opening was really vital amid the overdose crisis that have killed nearly 3,500 3, Philadelphians in the last three years. Um, and there's a quote from uh, one of their leading members at Safe House. She said, Philadelphia, like the nation, is in crisis, and we have the opportunity to address that crisis, so we owe it to Philadelphia to do that, unquote. Um, now, one of the things that I, like, pulled out of this article that I found really shocking was that there's a bit about um, one of the like open forums that Safe House had to talk to some of the community members and one of the community members there in the crowd said it's not part of democracy and that we're not going to give their blessing and the vice president Rhonda Goldfein responded that's fine and <laughs> I mean like honestly like that, that was also my response to the well like that's okay um, you don't have to support it and I think I mean, it's it's a crucial and important part that's going to aid this community. So, yeah, I think that it's um, I was honestly a little surprised. And maybe that's just me being like really naive that there is this massive amount of negativity 
surrounding the safe injection site but I think I probably shouldn't have been since this is like South Philadelphia it's not like we're in the middle of North Philly where the community member support would have really been taken into account anyway Mm -hmm. so I thought that that was just like an interesting portion of this article but my my first was just like your initial thoughts hearing that there's going to be a safe injection site in Philadelphia I mean I think it's I mean it's always been talked about Mm -hmm. I think it's just a, a long time coming I think it's I don't even think it's the first, yeah. um, but it's one of many that are going to keep coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, the problem is like, sorry, I looked at your next question no, about okay. the uh, drug crisis <laughs> being this serious in Philly. And if, uh, yeah, like I, like we see people every day. Yeah. Like every time I take the subway, I see someone that is on something. Mm-hmm. I really don't know, but they're not moving and they are. Yeah, you know, I think that it's <laughs> incapacitated just like, on the subway. Yeah, it, it really just surrounds us in general. And like this is the first safe injection site that's going to be like the first in the nation. And there were talks prior to this of having one in Kensington, but the community was so heavily against it that the, the um, city councilman decided not to go through with the idea. And I think that it's interesting that it's been being placed in South Philadelphia, which is kind of like the richer neighborhood. Yeah. So I find that like... I don't know, maybe it's, like, ironic. Maybe they kind of, like, deserve it. (laughs) Not that it's a bad thing, but, like, just having to acknowledge finally that they live in a city with this problem and just because, like, they're on the richer side and they don't have to witness it all that much doesn't mean that it's not happening. Yeah, I don't want to speak if you want to speak, Chris, but I think the, um, like, not-in-my-neighborhood kind of old man attitude is just a very selfish uh, outlook. And, yeah, not-in-your-neighborhood because, well... Yeah, I yeah. guess you don't live, mm-hmm. you know, where it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess when they do see that, A, the safe injection site isn't going to do any of the things that they're concerned about. There's been no national studies to um, prove that, as you said, like there would be drug mm-hmm. dealers or, I mean, yeah, I guess it would attract drug users to their area. Yeah. But, you know. Because it, they have to go to yeah. the injection site. Because they have to go to yeah. the injection site. Now, it's not my fault they're addicted to drugs, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it... Like, it's our community. We should yeah. we should we should look after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because uh, I'm not surprised in terms mm-hmm. of the reception that it has because just in terms of the general perception that society has on the war on drugs and how it's uh, largely fueled by social economical issues, racial issues, of course. Yeah. Um, so I think you hear that in a lot of their responses, like, "Oh, I don't want that going on in my backyard." You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to go outside and seeing all these. Uh, you know, yeah, I like criminals, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you want to call them, urban people or yeah. whatever, out here with drugs. But I also think that you know we know that a harsh uh, punishment for people who use these type of drugs isn't necessarily the right way to go about it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I understand in terms of the vice president of Safe House are saying, like, that's fine. You don't have to agree yeah. with it because most of these people aren't necessarily coming from an educated or nuanced spot mm-hmm. in terms of how to deal with this issue. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think a lot of it is just, like, I like this whole, like, sentiment. Like, it's not my backyard, but, like, it is. Philadelphia is not that big of a city. In fact, it's, like, incredibly small for a city. Yeah. So, like, One yeah, bridge. it is your backyard. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a large area. You're just, it's so gentrified that it's really easy to not ever witness it if you really don't want to. So, I think, it, like, it's important that there's that sentiment of, like, 
we're not going to give you our blessing, well, that's fine. Because yeah. I think there are certain times in which, like, no, the community should not be giving their output because they're always going to be opposed to it. Mm-hmm. And it's this type of community that's very, like, it's, it's like, self-centered to not understand that there's other people who are far more impoverished than you are that need this and that it's going to be very beneficial and that, like, studies have proven that it will mm-hmm. be. And there's a lot of factual evidence to back up that this will not negatively impact your neighborhood. Yeah. So this, like, consistent push to be against it I don't think will ever go away and so sometimes I think it is important that like despite the fact that the community goes against it it should be able to be like created and function anyway yeah I, I, oh I'm sorry Chris go ahead no, I was just gonna say I feel like they just need time yeah you know um like mm-hmm. they don't know any better and they, they want something to change but you know off face value just doesn't necessarily sound i guess like the change they wanted i mean some people may want some people may think that drug reform is just putting more people in jail yeah yeah they're coming from the perspective of like okay this has never worked so we need to have some type of supervision or some type of uh, relationship with it Mm -hmm. so that we can kind of like control it more because if you just throw people in jail you're really just gonna keep adding to the problem it's Mm -hmm. not like there's no drugs in jail either you know yeah Mm. And I think another thing to mention is that, like, some people are saying, well, this isn't going to decrease the amount of drug addicts. It's just going to, like, increase the the community surrounded and proliferate the spread of drugs. I'm like, well, people die of overdoses, like, unattended on the street constantly. And we've talked about, um, like, Chris and I have talked about stories of of police being, like, brutal against people who are going through overdoses instead Mm -hmm. of, like, properly handling it. So if they can be in a scenario in which it's going to be handled, that's going to be less, like, crime on your streets in general. It's going to be, like, less people dying needlessly. And it's, I mean, half the time it is really not your fault directly that you're addicted to drugs. It's a lot of of systematic and institutional issues. Yeah, and it's, first of all, it's not like they're saying, hey, come get free yeah, drugs here at the safe injection site. It's for people in need. Um, but I uh, also want to speak on the point about they just need time. I think a lot of these um, people in South Philly that are against it, you know, you have your, like, older, uh, like, white populations mm-hmm. or uh, wealthier populations as well uh, that are just of, like, that, like, era in the 80s or even before were, like, drugs, mm-hmm. all drugs, so any drug. No. Yeah. The yeah. word drugs, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope, not here. Right. Like they, they've got a, yeah. <laughs> they've got a horrible stigma of, uh, I mean, rightfully so, of like heroin and such, mm-hmm. but of of any drug. And there's no, I feel like it's very absolute, and they're just not open to uh, like a progressive way of of treating the problem. And I think Haley, you made a really good point about this will actually reduce crime. Yeah, I like, and that's that's just proven um and i think another question that i had was like since this was very quickly decided and really the community did not have a say in it do you think that like they should have at least been notified before it happened or like they should have known something about it um yeah i say no i mean we we all knew i'm coming into philly and i knew that philly had an issue with drugs and heroin so you know what i'm saying i mean i can't speak from a perspective of you know the neighborhood or mm-hmm. the people who live in the neighborhood but i'm like you know what's going on in the city like yeah. you know what i'm saying i mean like do you really need uh mm-hmm. like a hey just a just a heads up we're gonna be <laughs> trying some new things to work out this huge opioid yeah. uh, problem that we have in the city 
So, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. you can't have it both ways. You yeah. know, you either got to be open to see what we can do or mm-hmm. be very uh, closed off and try not to find out any new solutions. And, and like, not in my backyard, again, that phrase just bothers me so much. Yeah. But it's not your backyard. Right. Mm-hmm. It's our backyard, mm. okay? Yeah. You may live there. You may live a little closer than I do, mm-hmm. but this is Philly. We are like, all... It's we all live here. Right. We, we all live see the here. repercussions. Yeah. yeah, the problems are, you know, South 60th Street, 10th and Diamond. Not even mm-hmm. 10th and Diamond. Like, even further away, yeah. away from us than that. But it's still something you see every day. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking the subway. I mentioned yeah. I see someone on the subway. Yeah. South Philly, North Philly, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Everyone takes the subway, and that's where you can see a lot of the problems. And, like, that's a really dangerous environment to be overdosing in because, like, the bystander effect is really pervasive. Like, nobody will help you. And even really? If they no one to, will help you. No one would know how. I am guilty of this. My, yeah. I saw a woman, like, literally double over on, like, another man's lap. The man mm. was just sitting there, didn't know what to do. Yeah. Scooched away, and I... I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. No, it, like, and I'm. I'm not ready to help that person. Yeah, that's just like a psychological thing. Like people in crowds will not help you unless you like point them out directly. And and even if someone thought to, even if you called nine one one, even if you called the police, like, would they know what to do? Would they mm-hmm. get there in time? Like, and can I just say that? Just reiterating the points, I feel like all three of us have expressed mm-hmm. that the prohibition on these drugs and the ignorance that was surrounded by with that prohibition like in terms of the war on drugs yeah. and just say no and all that is kind of like what we see now in terms of people not really being able to relate to drug users you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's not necessarily to like oh you know you're weird it's just that kind of like we've been conditioned to think about them a certain way we haven't learned like the basics of those type of treatments mm-hmm. and as you mentioned earlier a lot of the police officers yeah. That are protecting the city don't know how to how to approach those issues either. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm CPR certified, mm-hmm. and I would not feel comfortable helping a person that I know is overdosing. Right. Yeah. Like I've seen pul- Pulp Fiction, but I don't think that mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that's I don't think I'm doing that. Yeah, I think it's just like really important to understand that like the general populace and even like the institutions that are set up to keep us quote unquote safe are not trained. They don't know how. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason that we have safe injection sites so that people can go there. They can use in a safe environment. They can get access to like treatment, to therapy, to try to stop and help with their addiction and be surrounded by people who know how to help them. And yeah. I think like that's really the most important part of this whole idea of safe injection sites. And then they're all in one spot. And yeah. they can all be, you know, um, told mm-hmm. as a collective, look, there are resources here to help you. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure that, like, even though they seek it every day, that they would much rather not be mm-hmm. addicted to heroin or yeah. crack. I think that's a really important point to make. And and with that, we're going to go into our first commercial break. But thank you for tuning in so far. Please come back for our next story and have a nice break. Hey, everybody. This is Josh Saffron bringing you your sports update for Wednesday, February 26th. 2020. On the frozen pond, we're starting out with some hockey. The Flyers continue their playoff push with a victory over the San Jose Sharks last night, winning by a score of 4-2. Kevin Hayes stays red hot, netting two goals and also picking up an assist. This is the Flyers' fourth win in a row, giving them 79 points on the season and the third playoff spot in the Metropolitan. Over in basketball, the Sixers and Joel Embiid look to keep it up during the absence of Ben Simmons. They travel to Cleveland to take on the 16-41 and 41 Cavs. Since firing their head coach John Bayline and replacing him with J.B. Bickerstaff, 
The Cavs are 2-1, including an overtime win against the Heat. And on the diamond today in beautiful Fort Worth, Florida, the Phillies will be taking on the Minnesota Twins at 105. Somebody I've got my eye on today and this spring is Reese Hoskins. He hasn't recaptured his pop of the plate since his rookie season, but I'm hopeful to see more of his new batting stance during this spring ball. This has been Josh Safran. Have a great day, everybody. Hello, welcome back to The District here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. We're coming back for another story, this time from Chris. Yeah, so this is coming from Channel 6, ABC News. Philadelphia health officials say they are ready for coronavirus. Let's see how they plan to be ready. U.S. health officials issued what appears to be a strong warning about novel coronavirus on Tuesday, yesterday, it is not a matter of if, but when it will spread uh, in communities in the United States and that Americans should prepare for, quote, significant disruption to their lives as a result of the virus. Until now, health officials hope to prevent community spread in the U.S. from occurring, but following community transmission in countries, Italy, Iran, South Korea, health officials believe the virus may not be able to be contained at the border and are urging residents to prepare. Health officials in our region are also preparing, quote, if there are cases that occur here, we're going to work very hard to prevent that spread, unquote, said Philadelphia Health Commissioner Dr. Timus Farley. Uh, quote, we've been working closely with hospitals, the CDC and state officials. Our health systems are strong and we'll be able to quarantine someone who has the infection, unquote. He says hospitals will have quarantine rooms ready, but says the public has to do their part. It's imperative if anyone travels into Philadelphia from an affected area, you stay as far away from anyone from 14 days. Farley also says if the coronavirus does show up here, it's important to have a personal plan for inevitable daily disruptions. Quote, people need to work. Ah, people need to work from home. Excuse me. Maybe kids won't be able to go to school because they won't be able to stay in the open. Unquote, Farley said. No confirmed cases of the coronavirus have been found in the Delaware Valley to date. So there's no need to be too worried. Yet. Not um, yet. Yes. So um, this is our first time talking about the coronavirus on the radio. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's our very well, first time. Well, shows that you've been on. Yeah. You know, no, I've I'm just been kidding. spending a lot of time talking about the coronavirus. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I'm really saying that. No, no one listens <laughs> to your shows, Haley. Because I, I don't know. think we talk <laughs> about politics or the coronavirus on the radio here in, in the news station at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, no, but since we have talked about it so much, what do you, how do you, how does this particular story make you feel? Like, do you feel safe? Do you feel more cautious? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, I was, I always just never think that this is going to be a problem f- for me. Mm-hmm. Like w- the mumps scare last semester. I was like, I'm not getting that. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. I didn't even get the booster. I went, I, I rolled no, I rolled booster free. I wish everyone listening could see Haley's face. Yeah. Oh I went God. booster free. Great immune system. Please never got get sick. vaccinated. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, we I, we have the vac. I got vaccinated. I just didn't get the no. booster. You have yeah. okay. Uh, Let- what did I get sick? No, th- that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get vaccinated. You can still uh, spread it nice to other words. people. Okay. Yeah, be wrong. Hey, you said anyway. devil's advocate before you got on it. If you would like to know going. how the MMR vaccine works, please Google it because um, you should get the third shot if you're exposed. Maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen to Haley. Anyways. Um, but no, actually, uh, a couple of my good friends are studying abroad in Rome right now, and he texted us. They're like, "Yeah, they, they might be thinking about sending us home." And I was like, "Uh oh, I hope you didn't get infected first. He was like, "Yeah, I think I'm 
I'll probably get it. You're, you're being way yeah. too nonchalant about this. So yeah. this is more of like something that I am hearing and just saying like maybe I should be concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have ranted about this at length on multiple different shows and in my personal life. Um, <laughs> but like the, the thing about it is that we always feel like this isn't going to affect us because we're in the U.S. And we, exact, it's been so exactly long it. since a pandemic has occurred that like this is the sort of the dangerous cycle that the world itself gets into. And it's essentially like there's the plague in with the Spanish flu in like the 1910s. And that's about the last time that there's ever been this like world worldwide disease and that killed more people than world war one and world war two combined mm. but nobody really thinks about it and no one talks about it because it was so long ago and the way that like diseases work with our psychology is that like we don't think about them until they're present and and so like when that occurs then the government is like we need to set up infrastructures for this we need to have protocols if this ever happens again and then it's been a century and all of that stuff falls apart because it doesn't happen again until it does and we're not prepared so we tend to feel like we're not going to be touched by it we don't have to worry about it because that's the united states and like we don't get ebola here like that's not what yeah. happens in first world countries mm. but that is what happens in a pandemic and that's why it's important to always understand that like you need to get your flu shot. Like maybe you don't think it's going to be that bad, but you still should because you're protecting other people. And without, by not getting panicked, by not freaking out, I think it's a good thing that Evan is not like wholly concerned about like getting the coronavirus because that type of panic is like really what is most detrimental in the situation. It's what I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> you, well, you <laughs> yeah, should be a little now bit. You're freaking but, me out. but I think it's, it's important to understand that like panicking about it is not going to help you and just doing what the CDC says, just like taking into consideration that your day-to-day life is probably going to be interrupted very soon and just rolling with it and understanding that like maybe you will get sick, but we have things in place and the U.S. has done a really good job of jumping the boat on this and like heavily having stuff in place for when it does start to spread a little bit more rapidly than it has. I mean, like just checking the CDC site as of today, um, there's only been 12 travel-related cases in the U.S. and there's been two cases of person-to-person spread, so there's only 14 confirmed cases in the United States as of now. So like, the amount of concern that we should have is low, but that might increase over the coming days and we should just be prepared. Yeah, can I just say, um, and I don't want to like double back on what you said in terms of the fear, <laughs> right? But... I don't trust Philly health officials. Oh, I don't either. And okay. I also don't trust, um, I mean, me and you have talked about this. Mm-hmm. And you know how I personally feel yeah. about our fellow Temple students. We don't wash our hands mm-hmm. in oh. the bathroom. Oh. I'm talking Disgusting. specifically for the fellas. I, I oh, do not my go God. to the women's bathroom. Oh, so when I you can't see they, do they, just, they just problem. do a rinse and shake. They just do a rinse, a rinse and, and shake. shake. If that's being nice. That, that's, that's, that's being nice. A lot of times they'll just they'll just walk, know, right walk out. out, and Bro. I honestly feel we live in a though, city. Not only are we Mumple University, <laughs> yeah, but Philly has just not been reliable in my opinion. So I don't trust Philly health officials. I, I bet they don't. Up. I bet they do rinse and shakes. They I, I'm sure. Do. I'm sure <laughs> they do. Yeah. I mean, pure speculation, but I can't see how that would be like unfounded. Um, but yeah, I think that like stuff like that just 
also, I was having a conversation about this last night when my mother frantically texted me that there was confirmed <laughs> cases in the U.S. I'm surprised like, my mom hasn't texted me. As she was more concerned about whether or not she could go on a cruise. I, like, <laughs> I, so, I mean, if you needed to know anything about my mom, that's, that's what you need to know. Yeah. But <laughs> I was talking to my other very good friend who's a bio, who's a biology major, and she's like really into like this sort of disease spread type thing. And she was like, I'm not that concerned. I don't know. I find it like kind of interesting. And I was like, why aren't you scared? And she was just like, you know, it's the flu. So really the people we need to be worried about are young children and the elderly. And it's not like the Spanish influenza strain, which like really targeted people our age because of like a really strong immune response. So like, it's not that we'll probably be fine. We just need to be more concerned on not spreading it to very um, tenuous populations. And the point that that brought up for me was just like sort of compounding on what Chris has said that like the people who are going to be most affected by this are like the impoverished and the lower yeah. class and people like living in North Philadelphia who aren't going to have access to the healthcare that they need. And it's really going to spread very quickly throughout those communities if it's introduced here. Because like I mean, think about like Temple University Hospital. I mean, the only time we ever really mm. hear about it is when we're, we're getting like TU alerts yeah. about shootings in the area. And and the, <sighs> like, imagine if that was just flooded with cases of coronavirus from people who don't have health insurance, yeah. who don't really have a reliable way to get there in general. That's not like public transit. And which yeah. risks more spread. Exactly. So like this is the type of I think Chris is right when he says like we should be wary about like Philadelphia health officials, not that they're like doing a bad job but like that they really need to be making more preparations for mm. for this specific community that we're living in now yeah i think it's just going to be like it's going to come down to a lack of a place to go for yeah the, for the those people we're talking about and i think this kind of pairs nicely with what we were talking about with the safe injection sites like we need to have these institutions in place for those that are less fortunate you mm -hmm. know and sure you can say it's not my fault but like you are a member of a community and we need to act like it yeah in my in my opinion that's mm -hmm. the thing there's never any like responsibility placed on like common yeah folk. yeah I mean, you know what i'm saying like, it's like all the government or, yeah, yeah like they'll take care of it always but... in someone else's hands but it's never seen as like hmm, what are what are little things well, i can do yeah like, you know what i'm saying we essentially are the government though mm -hmm. if, we, if we like break it down mm -hmm. to like the bare minimum yeah. like mm -hmm. it's just everyday people in those positions mm -hmm. um and we have the power to vote and influence not only them but who we put there as well yeah so i think like that's also something to think about um like putting things like this in perspective when we're casting our votes and things like that yeah do y'all feel like this outbreak uh like how bad do you think it could get Let's just focus on the city. Okay. Like, specifically within the city of Philadelphia, how yeah. bad would this get? I think it would get very bad. Uh, and I think it would get very bad very quickly. Um, because this is a respiratory disease and it spreads very fast. And with the, uh, like, just being in the city hall train station yeah. in general. like You breathe it, in there it, and you, you think you might like get a couple. Millions things. of, like, just everybody's spit. And, like, <laughs> that's just how it, the, if, if one infected person were to enter into, like, just city hall, like, septa station. You maybe like, cough a little. Yeah. yeah everybody there would would become infected it would or it would spread and then like imagine all of the people who commute to work and mm. then who are going to take, take that outside and that yeah imagine how many people just work and sit work in philly but do not live here i yeah. don't want to i don't want to send shots i wish we had like the little soundboard where you could like yeah shot <laughs> but i don't want to send shots at temple hospital but let me just say i visited yeah and it, that's probably the last place i want to go to yeah if i was in need of 
No, I'm like emergency care. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather go out in the, mm-hmm. in the county and go to one of those <laughs> hospitals or go down to Penn. Yeah, like, and they're just not equipped to handle the like massive volume of cases. Yeah, and yeah. like that would make it even more dangerous because you you really need to have very strict precautions in 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 place, especially in, in hospitals, because like that's going to spread to your healthcare providers, the mm-hmm. very few of them that exist there. Yeah. And, and that's just going to like spread it throughout the rest of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that, and then anybody visiting anybody, like the protocols need to be followed. And I don't think Philadelphia is going to get much outreach from the federal government. I, I just don't really think it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think like, again, what you said about the tech Temple hospital, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like it looks great. Temple put a hospital in the middle of an impoverished community. Yeah. But like it is not nearly equipped. Like I have been in the emergency room for nothing like crazy serious there. Mm-hmm. But like like the I remember there was a guy that was did like cocaine with fentanyl in it next to me and like I mean they were I guess they were doing their best. I'm no professional, yeah. but like yeah, like, the, to, yeah. I mean, like that's uh, just what, that's, that, that must be what's supposed to go on. But yeah. like they were just yelling at him, and they they they, they had to wait hours to mm-hmm. get something. I'm like mm-hmm. this guy, and I'm just sitting here in, in there for something minor, and I'm thinking like this guy's gonna die <laughs> yeah. right next to me, and was, they're not doing like anything. Like, I, I mean, there was a woman who was like covered in blood, just got off the just got off the ambulance, and she was sitting just, on a gurney yeah. for like 20 minutes, just yeah. like crying her eyes out. Like I was just like, is yeah. anybody gonna like help yeah, or that do anything? Top priority. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I I'll go there to to see a doctor, and like one time I was there to see a doctor, and I waited an hour and a half in the in the room, mm-hmm. and then I just left. I was like, "Look, I got stuff to do today. Yeah. I'm not just gonna sit yeah. in this room." Yeah. No, so, like triage is really hard to handle in underfunded and like understaffed hospitals. Yeah, and I mean, it's no, it's nothing like. No, it's on the yeah. individuals. It's purely ad- administrative. Yeah, it it, it definitely right. is, and like just like being short staffed, being a nurse working like. 48 hour shift with like nobody to relieve you it's just like I'm definitely very privileged coming from like a small town in which there's a Wellspan hospital five minutes from my house that is always well staffed and like I can go into urgent care and get an appointment in like five minutes and my insurance covers it and like I'm very lucky and I wouldn't want to be in Philadelphia if the if there was going to be an outbreak here I would 100% prefer to like be in my nice small town hospital where I know that there's going to be enough beds and enough health practitioners to treat us properly and I think that that's like one of those things it's just like we're not going to be prepared for it until it happens and that's the dangerous thing is that we keep thinking that it just won't happen here but like when it does it will happen quickly Mm -hmm. and there will not be time to get prepared and that's why all of these flu pandemics have been so deadly in the past is that we have just not been prepared for them and the people in charge and institutions that are controlling the healthcare system haven't been taking it seriously and not to say that they aren't doing it now I think that this is definitely one of the best responses that we probably could have seen out of like the United States and I'm I'm like emboldened a little bit by the the fast jump to like quarantining travelers to putting out information about it and like that makes me a little bit hopeful but I'm not you know entirely certain in any way shape or form what would happen i don't think we really can be until it does um but with that we're going to go into our third commercial break so um third second 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 commercial break it's been a long day y'all i was gonna mess you after you transitioned (laughs) but then i said it before anyway our second commercial break whip philly's number one college radio station 
Hello, and welcome back to The District on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Our third story today is going to be brought to you by Evan. Yes, so this is about the um, marijuana arrest falling in Pennsylvania, uh, but after um, many of like the major towns have decriminalized it, there hasn't been that significant of a drop. Uh, so PA cops are still busting people at the same rates they were years ago uh, when marijuana was not decriminalized. In 2019, marijuana arrests, which often result in an honors cr- criminal record, declined in the Keystone State. But they remain greater than they were in 2009 before any major city decriminalized possession of marijuana. Most of Pennsylvania's large cities have passed ordinances decriminalizing marijuana, and officially penalties for possessing small amounts are kind of like traffic tickets. So with fines running from 25 to even $500, which is a little ridiculous, but that's okay. Um, but in 2019, uh, we were close to 22,000 arrests for people possessing less than 30 grams of marijuana, which is a little under, uh, pardon me, a little over an ounce. Um, so that's an 11% decline since last year. So yes, they have dropped. But last year, there was close to 25,000 arrests which is more than 10 years ago, which was 2009, which there were 20,000 arrests. So that's 5,000 more arrests nine years later. And we started in 2015, which had the record low of 18,000 arrests. But now as we move on, arrests are going up and up. Uh, So my favorite Pennsylvania public servant, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who is a big legal cannabis advocate, stated, uh, we're still arresting more people than we did 10 years ago, and it's lunacy. Uh, Patrick Nightingale, who is a uh, cannabis law attorney and advocate in Pittsburgh, told the Inquirer police are uh, simply ignoring uh, the move to decriminalize pot. Quote, it's because police in many of those cities don't follow the decriminalization statutes. The statutes are not binding on police or the district attorney's office. They're voluntary. So police can still make arrests at their discretion. So, to me, this just seems like police are being, like, too hard, you know? I, I was actually trying to see the demographic breakdown of these arrests to see if my suspicion of them, of, like, people of color being targeted disproportionately was correct. I could not find any statistics to to base that claim off of, so it's just a speculation. But, like, why would you guys think that this is? I mean, I think you're probably onto something by saying that this is, like, a racially based thing. I don't see how it's not, um, because just from understanding the disproportionate amount of African Americans that inhabit our prison system in general, I can't imagine that, like, this isn't compounding into that. And also, like, I just find it kind of ludicrous that you can be, like, sentenced to time in jail for possession of marijuana and, like, how that's going to affect your later life. Like, if you get arrested, like, now in college, like, how are you going to finish college when you get out? Like, how is that going to affect your prospects of ever succeeding and getting a job? And then your debt that you accrued. Yeah, while you're in in jail and in in, in college. (laughs) Like, I, like, jail's not free. I don't know why there's, like, that idea that you don't have expenses while you're in prison. (laughs) Yeah. So, I, like, I just think that this is one of those ways that, like, institutionalized racism is just, like, being extorted. Yeah, I can also link it back to our conversation to the safe injection sites earlier in terms of we were talking about the ignorance behind the drugs and what they do. Yeah. And um, a lot of a lot of times people will fail to connect 
how the prohibition creates the environment the for you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying like uh, many people say that marijuana is a gateway drug but I was I was looking at this TED talk Joe Biden said that and this yeah. guy yeah mm-hmm. yeah Joe Biden is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also said to make sure you have your radios on at night to teach kids how to be better in terms of handling issues with uh, oppression and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and uh, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I don't know what? the correlation either. <laughs> yeah. but, um, that man should have ran in 1980. I know. Yeah. Good for him. Mm-hmm. He's spewing stuff from this. So. He really is. He's just like, anyway, but, um, we get off topic. Yeah, yeah th- I was watching this TED Talk, and the guy was saying how marijuana isn't a problem. It's the prohibition that creates it. And if you think about it, that's true. I mean, people don't take marijuana and then be like, wow, I want to try heroin and crack and coke and all this other things they say oh, okay i want to try marijuana and then the black market dealer that they're getting it from says hey i also have uh, oh, so heroin so this this that and the third you know what i'm saying but yeah. i feel as though like the police um society needs to be educated more on how we can kind of coexist with this information and kind of take the information that's coming out about the positives of marijuana to correlate that into their like opinions you know what i'm saying because we kind of know it but we don't really mm-hmm. have that evident in our everyday conversations about it you know yeah i think that we there's a lot of political opposition you know you, you find traditionally a lot of people on on the right are more anti-marijuana anti-drugs but i feel like that's just very very much influenced by the people that give money to the politicians that tell these people how to think and i'm not saying everybody that's a, a, a Republican or size with the right, but they, both parties are also uh, like this, but very loyal, you know. And and I know that if Obama says something, my mom is gonna is gonna be into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Versus I know if my uh, ex roommate Ken said heard something that Trump <laughs> said, he's gonna be into it, you, you know. So right. um, I think that. It's kind of just more of a blind trust in the politicians that are just being manipulated by your large pharma companies and other private donors that have special interest in either keeping prisons filled or um, selling more of their prescription medications or whatnot, um, and even just like racial uh, motivations as well, because it's it's no secret that the war on drugs also disproportionately affects people of color. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make. I think it's also like just the the point about like big pharmaceutical companies i think it's important to bring into perspective like who is not making money off of the <laughs> the proliferation of marijuana use and it's not the big pharma companies mm-hmm. and they're also the ones that are like in control of a lot of lobbyists who are like in control of a lot of politicians so mm-hmm. i don't i'm not surprised that like a lot of the people on the right who tend to be supported by a lot of these big pharmaceutical companies are are against it because like this is a detriment to their money and like it sounds kind of horrible to say it but like this this whole like opioid crisis that we're experiencing particularly here in Pennsylvania is like caused a lot by just like the irresponsible production and spread of opioids by these companies mm-hmm. like encouraging doctors to prescribe medications that have not been thoroughly tested mm-hmm. that they're not transparent about the the um, likelihood of addiction with and they're making money on that like yeah. they're making money off the opioid crisis and they're not making money off marijuana so i don't oh, know if there's like a connection there but i oh, definitely there's most definitely <laughs> a connection there they're definitely making well the government's definitely making money off of uh yeah marijuana yeah. it's so interesting that you well, know they can pay their bills there's marijuana. so much mm-hmm. and again i'm gonna talk about john fetterman again great twitter follow if you have <laughs> twitter i highly recommend but there are millions if not billions in tax 
revenue that we can get from this. And I and I feel like there's more like, especially people in Pennsylvania where we we could grow it. You know, like the people are like, why can't we get in on this? Why can't we get in on these, uh, this tax money that we can get from this, and also improve our community, keep more people out of jails. Mm-hmm. I, I know that one of my uh, another one of my friends uh, was caught with less than like an eighth of weed two years ago, mm-hmm. and he's just got his he so he's been in court for two years about it, mm. and just got his probation sentencing. Yeah. And in, and it's only for like six months, but anything over, it's just like it would have been legal by then. It's it's pretty close now. Mm-hmm. It's just funny, like you know, the double standard that we have. Like I just I just think it's unfair for us to arrest people for marijuana in certain parts of the state, where in other parts you have you know these states that are yeah. making tons of money off of marijuana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then when you have this guy trying to pay his bills, just like Colorado's mm-hmm. trying to do, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a double standard, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not fair for sure. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it comes down to like the stereotypical idea of like who's smoking pot and it's like not white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> And that's how they have it. They have that view as like not in my backyard. Yeah, not like not mine, like not, not, not my neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Like, And exactly. it almost certainly is. Yeah. Like, most people do it's a normal thing i like i just think it's it's this outdated idea of like all drugs are terrible and like the idea of marijuana as a gateway drug is like really just like propaganda at children to like never get into it but like i think it's important to understand like what actual marijuana users look like and um just like in my um trials down the youtube hole listening to different john oliver shows from years ago he he did one on marijuana and like a lot of it was just like old um or like veterans who are suffering from ptsd who like use it to try to like get through their anxiety attacks and like it's very hopeful to certain people and it's certainly not just like a bunch of 20 year old like black kids yeah it's like every it's it's a very pervasive thing and it's not dangerous mm. like it really isn't it's people tend to use responsibly and it would be less dangerous if it was like more widely spoken about and, and more accepted and yep. government regulated and like yep. the fda ruled in on it and there wouldn't be all of this like stuff where we were finding like synthetic marijuana like that stuff can be really like damaging very very much so yeah and if this was a regulated thing and then we wouldn't be having as much of that um that like damage be be coming up and as chris said you would cut down on people going to black market dealers Mm -hmm. who sell all drugs yeah just you you just get weed from them but they're like hey if you wanted to try such and such yeah like i've got it Mm -hmm. and to an easy easily impressionable kid they're gonna be like oh yeah let me try 17 years old like oh yeah Sure, yeah, that'll like make that. me cool. Yeah, Someone right, you right. minutely trust telling you it's okay. I yeah. heard that in a song one time. <laughs> I have to try that yeah, one. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's just again back to that. The people who are in power now are the people that, I mean, were alive and some even grew up during the "Just Say No to Drugs" in yeah. like that whole campaign, which. Mm-hmm. I'm not encouraging people just to go out and use drugs, but like I think that was just a total mistake. Yeah, I think there was there's just a total different way to look at it. Like uh, you, I try to use the analogy, um, like you know how alcohol is treated in Europe. Mm. Like you don't hear about European kids like going off to school and then yeah, they pro- they don't even have medical amnesty mm-hmm. in Europe. You know, because they don't, don't really need it, need it that much because yeah. they've been you know raised responsibly mm-hmm. to understand what they're putting in their body and yeah. appreciate what they're putting in their body 
sure, I'm not going to say Europeans don't get drunk. Mm-hmm. Probably more than Americans. Yeah, but, but it's... Mm-hmm. I think that there's a, a similar approach, not necessarily having children use marijuana, but like educating and understanding. You know, I feel like drug and sex education in um, mainly the drug portion, though, in like middle school, shouldn't be these are all the drugs, here's what they do to you, and why you shouldn't use them. Yeah. It's more of an educational thing, you know. And of course, there's going to be drugs that you should not use, mm-hmm. but it's more of an understanding and a respect versus a fear. Yeah, I think that it's really important to, like, make that connection with, like, the way that we treat alcohol Um, and just, like, understanding that, like, if you have this, like, stigma of mystery around it, then, like, people are going to, first of all, if your goal is to stop people from using marijuana, if you keep saying, like, no, bad, don't use it, like... People I'm gonna are gonna use do it. it more. Uh, people are gonna so be like, like oh, I want to use it. If mm. you're open and if you're communicative about it, then like it's going to be like we're gonna see. If we were the same way with alcohol, we would see way less people dying of alcohol poisoning in college. Like, that's just facts. If this wasn't like such a, um, oh, a, like taboo thing to be doing, then like people wouldn't be so like whole into doing it. Yeah. And it would be way easier if you're having a problem. Like if you are being offered hard drugs to like understand that you can say no to that and it's okay to continue to do marijuana and not do hard drugs and like that's fine too but yeah i think that like most importantly we can just start having more open conversations about it and treat it more the way that we treat alcohol as in like an inevitability almost like everybody will do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that it's like uh it's interesting because you mentioned something earlier that was like in terms of um different stereotypes or how we perceive it Mm -hmm. and i was just thinking like uh how people talk or how i've heard people talk about it um you know most people talk about like weed like oh it's something i can use to just like you know get away or like um escape or stuff like that but like a lot of other people use marijuana like you said to engage in something like you know what i'm saying like they're using it to um engage in feeling better about themselves or mm-hmm. engage in talking about something like you know what i'm saying not everybody uses marijuana or liquor to escape from yeah. something i think that's a really important point to make that like this can be like sort of a community building thing i mean like there's that idea like you go out drinking with your friends because you're gonna have like a fun night like why can't like you go out smoking with your friends be that's like right. sort of the same thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like that's essentially the Probably same safer honestly honestly yeah, yeah. Like, Probably, like you know i just just kind of want to go home, man. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of want to go watch Planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, right. or instead of, oh, let's steal this thing. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways that we should be working to like stop that sort of stigmatization of marijuana. But with that, that is uh, the end of our show. So I want to thank you all for tuning in to the district on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Um, please tune back in on Friday for Rational Radio, and uh, you can follow us on social media at WHIP Radio on Twitter. So have a nice week, you guys.